So he's going potty right now, and we're still recording. So I'm just going to sit here and talk sh- because this is the stuff I'm going to put at the beginning of the episode before the music runs. So just know, right as we're going into this episode and the music kicks on, that Scott is taking a piss. <laughs> Two generations. One passion. This is Generation Red. How many tackles can one man break? Touchdown. Cross to the middle. The snap is down. The kick is up. The kick is. Get that way. And the kick is. We are back, Husker Nation, with another episode of Generation Red, the kettle corn of Husker Fan Podcast, where we do our best to be sweet, but at times we get salty. It is your favorite father and son duo, finally. We went solo for a couple of episodes, which was a nice learning experience, but it's not a lesson we want to have to learn very often, if you want to know the truth. So it's great to see Scott on the other side of the computer again, and uh, we are back. We're going to preview uh, the Purdue game coming up here this Saturday and uh, share some information that we've gleaned about Purdue and whatnot and the, uh, do some comparison stats for, for Nebraska and Purdue and all that good stuff. Give you our fun facts, give you our keys to the game and uh, predictions, all that, everything that we do for a preview. But before we do the preview, we've got some interesting stuff that we've uh, kind of looked back on the uh, coaching resume of Coach Frost as, since he's been at Nebraska, and we kind of pulled out some interesting numbers. And I know, Scott, you've got a few that you'd like to throw out there. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, right now? Yeah, I forgot. Uh, I'm Ken. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, I'm Scott. Hey, how's it going? Uh, <laughs> we forgot how to do this. What can yeah. I tell you? One damn week, we forgot how to do this. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I'm just looking here at 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 our record. At our win-loss record since Frost got hired. And I found this little bit of information on the old trusty Reddit, um, which I have been delving into more and more as the Husker season has progressed. It's just fascinating to see uh, so many minds come together and discuss the little nuances of, of what kind of hell that we're in right now. And... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, some guy posted <laughs> posted these stats. So since Frost has been hired, we have a 15 and 25 overall record, 3 and 5 this year, which is the same win percentage as last season. We are 10 and 24 against Power 5 opponents, and that means hmm. that we've lost one game against a non-Power 5 opponent. Uh we are 0 and 10 against ranked opponents as I'm sure you guys are aware I it's been so long since we've won against a ranked opponent it hurts uh yeah. we are 4 and 15 in road games we haven't won a single road game this year um we are 5 and 17 in one score games which that's a stat that all of Husker Nation is very painfully aware of 
And in that regard, mm-hmm. we are zero and five this year. So out of the uh, eight games we have played this year, we have had five of those games being decided by a score or less, and we've lost all of them. And last stat is that we are one in five coming off of bye weeks. And that's terrifying to think about coming against uh <laughs> coming up here against the boilermakers. But and they're they're coming off of a butt kicking in their home stadium too. And I know they're gonna come into Lincoln fairly pissed off. So Oh, and then yeah. I forgot I forgot this last stat. So it's one in five coming off of bye weeks, but it you know, some of those bye weeks were not scheduled bye weeks. They were more so like either canceled games uh, due to like lightning or COVID. Um, but we are actually zero and three coming off of scheduled buys. So we have not won a game against a scheduled by opponent yet in the Frost era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Terrifying numbers. No doubt about it. Um, you know what, though? As I look back at some cumulative stats for 2021, after eight games, um, Nebraska scores almost 31 points a game while they hold their opponents to just under 20. We throw for about 270 yards a game, just under, and the opponents barely throw for over 200. Uh, rushing per game, we're still over 200. As bad as our offensive line is, we're still averaging 212 yards a game rushing. Opponents are only averaging 140. Yeah, exactly. Our first downs, we've got 182 first downs this year compared to 147 among all of our opponents. And we're f***ing three and five. That makes literally no logical sense. We've got 82 rush first downs, 89 passing first downs. So that's a really balanced doggone offense Mm -hmm. when it comes to converting first downs. And we've got 11 first downs on penalties. Our opponents have 64 rushing first downs, 73 passing first downs, which is pretty balanced against our defense. And then we've given up 10 penalty, 10 penalties that resulted in first downs. Here's the cool, here's the interesting thing. In our three wins, Nebraska has scored 136 total points. That's 45.33 points per game. And our opponents have scored a grand total of 17 or 5.67 points per game. The margin has been we've won by at least four scores in the games that we've won, 28.33 points. But in our losses, we've scored 110 points. Our opponents have scored 138. That's a difference of 5.6 points per game. We have yet to lose a game by more than one score, which is still as torturous as anything because, good God, wouldn't it be all right if we lost to Michigan by 17? It would have felt maybe a little bit better because we were so stinking close, but no, it was a fumble (laughs) that probably should have been blown dead, and I'm going to say that till my grave. Uh, But when you compare our stats, see, and this is it. I've heard a lot of people, I've heard callers into Hale Varsity and places like that talking smack and saying, you know, yeah, we're seeing improvements in the team, but the wins and the losses are worse than they were under Riley. Well, I think y'all need a little bit of a reminder of what that last, that third season under Riley was really all about. Now, unfortunately, I could not come up with cumulative stats through eight games in 2017. So these are the cumulative stats over 12. Uh, But Nebraska scored an average of 25.8 points per game in 2017. The opposition scored an average of 36.4. We did pass for a few more yards, but... 
We had to. We were freaking behind every game, kind of like we are this year. Uh, 277.5 yards per game passing, 23 TDs with 17 interceptions. Contrast that with Adrian Martinez's numbers, who's 266.38 per game, 10 touchdowns, and only three interceptions. He's taken much better care of the ball when he's dropped back to throw. So that's a major improvement. Um, When you look at the rushing yardage, Nebraska averaged 107 yards a game in 2017 rushing with Divino Zigbo, who was a good running back. Uh, Oppositions averaged 215 (laughs) <laughs> so, um, first downs, we had 236. Opposition had 279. In our four wins, we scored 123 points, which was 30.75 points per game. Ironic, that's what we're averaging per game, even though we're 3 and 5 this year. Uh, 83 points were... Wow, I got something wrong here. Oh, our opposition only scored 83 points in those four games. Uh, which was 20.75 points per game. So we won by an average of 10 points. Uh, When we've won this year, we're winning by an average of 28. And I will say that those four wins that we got that year were in 2017 were probably legitimately the same level of competition that Nebraska has beaten by four scores on the average per game this year. So I would call that an improvement. Uh, Losses, unfortunately, all eight of them were for a total of 186 points. We scored... Grand total of 23 and a quarter points per game. Our opposition, unfortunately, scored 352, which was almost double what we would score in our losses. Uh, they, that was 44 points per game. The margin of victory was at least three scores. With the last four games, Nebraska giving up at least 50 points in the last four games in 2017. So... Yes, I get it. Mike Riley had a better record, but he also managed to get that better record with a lot of Pelini players on his team in his first two years. Um, Now, here's the stat that really, really makes me wonder how good we could really be this year if we just would have fixed this. And that is Nebraska is number two in the country at getting into the red zone on offense. There's only one team better than us in the country, and that's Oklahoma. But we're 105th in the country in scoring in the freaking red zone. If you want to know why we're 3-5, and more than anything, more than the penalties, more than the mistakes, more than f***ing Martinez fumbling something away at a very crucial point in in the game, we get into the red zone, we can't convert, we can't throw into the end zone we can't run into the end zone we can't kick a damn field goal to save our life unless it's at least 50 yards away um yeah that's it <laughs> ah. that, that would be you know yeah i get it i get it uh the mistakes suck but dang it we're moving the ball well we're getting into the red zone more often than 128 other teams in the country how is it that we're three and five I have it's mind boggling. I have a question for you and you don't have to expand on it or anything. And I know that it's much more complicated than the question that I'm about to pose. But off the top of your head, when you look at those stats and you mm-hmm. think about them and their complex intricacies and all that fun jazz, if you were to narrow it down to one of two things, what do you think it would be? Do you think it's a coaching issue? Or do you think that it is a psychological mentality issue on the players, on the individuals? 
I would say it's a mixture of both. I don't think it's necessarily coaching, coaching, but maybe it's some play calling in the red zone that needs some work. Um, you know, when you're lining up in the freaking shotgun and you've got fourth and six inches to fucking score and you don't go under center because you uh, say that you've watched all the film on Minnesota and they're so good on the goal line, you just didn't feel comfortable getting up under center. That to me tells me as a coach, you don't believe your same mantra of no fear of failure. Trust your guys. Get up under center. Get that six foot two, 220 pound quarterback to lean. I mean, how hard is it to get six inches? You know, that game, we win that game if we score because I think that opens the floodgates. We were moving the ball on them mm -hmm. in the second half almost with ease, especially in the third quarter. And I think the floodgates open if we just score. But because we didn't, then the second part of your question comes into play where their brains go, oh crap, here we go again. And I think it's a mentality thing with both, not just not just the players, but the coaches too. Because then they go, now what are we going to do? Now what are we going to do? You know, so next time they get to the red zone, they can't score. All right, Connor, go on out there. Let's see if you can figure out how not to tank it. And then he tanks it. So then what, right? So I think it's a mixture of both. I think if you'd have gone up under center in that Minnesota game and just punched the ball in there, it would have been a different story. Um, but yeah, what do you think? The reason why I pose that question like that is because I feel like, or from what I've witnessed, especially when it comes to callers on Hale Varsity or uh, Reddit discussions, you know, transpiring mm -hmm. and all that, it seems like people get stuck in a binary mindset that it's it's just one thing. It's just this one thing. It's just the coaches. It's just the players. It's just Frost. It's just these right. these individual things. And and I completely agree with that. I think. I think it's a relationship between the coaches and the players and the players' uh, confidence and their and their psychological stability of of basically knowing nothing but losing since they've been here. Yeah. And that I just don't think that our guys are all that confident every single time our coaches make a decision um, for them, yeah. for them, you know, like, yeah, specifically that fourth and in inches, you know, it's like. If 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 your guys, if you really truly trust them, go under center. Who cares if mm -hmm. if what you've seen from Minnesota tells you otherwise? The winning mentality that that Tom Osborne and Charlie McBride had in the '90s was, well, we're gonna make it work. We're gonna make it work until it mm -hmm. until it doesn't. And I mean. Seriously, if Yant wouldn't have tripped up and fell on that play, he would have oh, punched Oh, he scores him. easy. He scores easy. So, I mean, that play call would be irrelevant. Nobody would even question lining up in the shotgun. I mean, maybe they'd be like, I don't know why they did that, but it worked. This is true. Um, so it's just those small, tiny little things. It's co uh, Yes, there is some coaching stuff like... Just the getting ready for the Minnesota game, I 100%... I 100% blame it on the coaches and the players that the leadership in the locker room should have been able to find ways to get the guys ready to go. And the coaches should have, I don't know, yelled at them, got them fired up. I don't know what happened in the locker room. I know Frost said he tried to get them, he and the coaching staff tried to get them ready to go, but clearly they didn't, they, they weren't ready. They weren't ready. Um, and they came out. Bland, yep. so it came out flat yep came but, out uninspired 
all that good stuff. It just was, yeah. Well, eh, anyway, are you are you ready to be even more depressed? I've got another stat for you. Oh God, I didn't <laughs> know that. Yeah, shoot, go for it. <laughs> According to a tweet that I saw from Sam McEwen from the Omaha World Herald, the Huskers have a grand total of a hundred and four return yards between punting punts and kickoff returns 104 total for eight games jd spielman had 114 total return yards in this 2017 season opener alone oh my god um yeah getting into the red zone as often as we do is awesome but uh flipping field position is huge and making those big plays that that uh completely turn the momentum of a game is just as huge and i think i think we here's here's what i say just after looking at all these numbers we are close there's no doubt in my mind that we're close there's some details that i think the coaches need to worry about themselves when they're calling plays there's details that the team needs to worry about and the players need to worry about when it comes to execution we're just that close now if we start winning some of these games let's say Next year, we're five and three, eight games into the season, and we're looking at possibly going eight and four. And we start doing that two, three years in a row. Guess what? The J.D. Spielmans start coming back to Nebraska, and you've got a return game again. Uh, the Randy Gregory's start coming back to Nebraska to play at outside linebacker to wreak havoc on opposing quarterbacks. The Indomitian Sioux type players, you know, Damian Daniels has been wonderful. He's been wonderful, but damn it, I wish he would have lost a lot of weight like three years ago yep. and became this player back then, right? Uh, but you get this you get this team winning eight and nine games a year. You're going to start getting some of those difference makers. You're going to get two guys like Cam Taylor-Britt that can play man-to-man coverage and lock down two receivers and just set your defense free to go after the quarterback almost constantly. Uh, so we're that close. Once we get there, once we start getting to those bowl games, we start winning eight, nine games a year, you're going to see some difference makers start coming into this program again. And that's going to be huge. That's when you start getting to that 10, 11 win per year range. What do you think of that? Yes. And I would add, like, I completely, I completely agree with that, that we will get more players that are more, more playmakers, more guys who have a winning mentality and to add on to that winning is the best the best medicine for a negative mindset that i really think that what's really biting our guys in the butt more often than not is the lack of experience of doing things right um yep. and you know we flip we flip this this entire schedule, let's say we do pull off that win against uh, Michigan State or Lord willing, we pull off the win against Oklahoma or even Michigan. One of those three, one of those three, I think that that sets an entirely different tone in our team and it mm-hmm. gives them the actual positive feedback loop of good thoughts because right now they just have a positive feedback loop of negative thoughts. Oh, what are we going to do to screw this up? Oh, what are we going to do to to mess this one up this time? Yeah. Instead, it just it it starts to slowly manifest itself in a winning mentality of, "Oh, what do I need to do to make this happen? What do I need what what have I experienced before that works?" Because as far as they're aware, 
anything and everything they do, it doesn't matter because it's going to it's going to fall short. And that's a team wide mentality at this point, because the culture, there isn't a single player on our team that's been to a bowl game. Not one. Yeah. I mean, is there? I mean, do we have a Jojo, Jojo Doman, I think, was a redshirt freshman who was injured his freshman year when we, when we went to that uh, Music City Bowl. And we got our... We so got I think our, he's the only one. Tails we, handed to us, yeah. Hey, I'll throw you a different game at you that, that changes the entire season. What if we come out against against Illinois and we do what we're, we were favored to do? We kick the living oh. piss out of them. And that changes the narrative for the entire schedule the rest of the year changes the whole narrative you oh, don't yeah. worry about us coming out flat against minnesota you don't worry about you know you you go into ou with that exact same attitude that they did but even with more saying yes yeah, we're f***ing three and oh boys you've got to beat us now and maybe and maybe we play so well in that game that they bring caleb williams in and <laughs> and then they they have a Heisman winner on their on their roster when it's all said and done. So I don't see anybody better except for Stroud. Stroud was really good yesterday for Ohio State. Uh, but anyway, we should probably uh, probably move on to uh, Purdue. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. We've been running our, running our suck for over twenty minutes yep. now. I think so. Running our yaps for a lot and and wishing and hoping and whatnot, but. Uh, you know, the good thing is that I believe Frost is going to get another year, and I think a lot of this stuff can get fixed. Um, but anyway, yeah. as far as Purdue, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, and I think it's important for us to talk about these things because these are the discussions that people have. These are the things that people are thinking yes. in their smoke pits or in their break room as a review that we had received said. Um mm-hmm. And it's just important. It's important to talk about these things because they're the things, the thoughts that bounce around in our head all the dang time. And <laughs> why not actually talk about them? So, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah, exactly. I'm cool. All righty. Let's go. So let's talk about Purdue. <laughs> uh, 2.30 p.m. kickoff home game in Lincoln. Thank goodness. Um, God, did you see? I got the text from Huskers.com that they're selling them buy one, get one free for tickets. So apparently it's not sold out yet. <laughs> they're uh, <laughs> Yeah, their record is 4-3. and three. They're 2-2 two and two in the Big Ten. They're not ranked. Their last game was a butt-kicking at the hands of Wisconsin at Ross-Aid Stadium in uh in west lafayette indiana they lost 30 to 13 and wisconsin held purdue's offense to a grand total of 219 passing yards and negative 13 yards rushing which is no big surprise because they haven't ran the ball all that well this year anyway but wisconsin on that defense rushed for 290 yards so You'd see hope in those numbers for certain for the Huskers, but they do have some players that can cause some havoc. We saw what David Bell did against Iowa. He was a one-man wrecking crew, what, three TDs or two TDs or something like that and 200 and some odd yards. Um, He's got 44 receptions. For me, he's the player to watch on offense. Uh, 44 receptions, 712 yards. 16.18 yard average per catch, and he's got four TDs on the year. Um, Yeah, he's the guy that's got to be stopped as far as I'm concerned on offense to start. Uh, That's the guy that CTB is going to be lined up on. So 
Uh, he did really well last year in West Lafayette against him, so I'm looking for Britt to be even better this year, especially since he's really kind of started to figure things out. So anyway, go ahead. I know you've got a different guy on offense you want to talk about. Yeah, I would have picked uh, David Bell uh, for my players to watch, but uh, obviously you have it covered, and so let's let's expand on that just a little bit with the guy who's going to probably give him the ball if he has an opportunity to, and that would be Aiden O'Connell, their starting quarterback, uh, which I guess I could say Jack Plummer as well if they're throwing him in there. Um, but what mm-hmm. I've got for Aiden O'Connell is that he has a 698 completion percentage with 172 attempts with uh, 120 completions he has just over 1300 yards of total offense with uh with seven touchdowns but eight interceptions to that seven touchdown ratio so he's throwing interceptions more than he's getting tds um the last two games he has compiled a 75 percent accuracy um even though he threw three picks against wisconsin He has been sacked a total of five times in the last two games, uh, and we need to put pressure on him and shut him down. Obviously, that means we also need to shut down David Bell and their standout tight end, Payne Durham, who have over a 1,000 yards total catching yards combined between the two Mm. of them. And the reason why I'm picking a quarterback for my players to watch is because just like against Minnesota with with their quarterback – he should have been shut down, and he, of course, just like he always tends to do against Nebraska, he did awesome. Had I think he was like twenty of twenty-four or something like that, and yeah. we had essentially no answer for him for sixteen consecutive plays all the way up until we got back-to-back interceptions. Uh, just kind of just weird, absurd stats like that that just make me question our ability to stop proficient quarterbacks even though they might have a proclivity to throw interceptions or whatever um so we got to find a way to shut o'connell down and if jack Plummer comes in the game due to an injury like we experienced with uh all of brandon peters and uh artur siktowski we can't bank on their second string not just going going down on us and and throwing some throwing some shade because i didn't wasn't it 2019 that jack Plummer was there i i feel like one year jack Plummer was tearing us apart i don't remember what year that was it would have been it would have probably been 2019 when we went down there and then they kind of came back and in the fourth quarter and beat us after we were up by two scores so yeah i think Plummer sounds about right Yep. So just like Tanner Morgan, we've got to find a way to not allow O'Connell to have a proficient game, especially with David Bell yep. and Payne Durham ready for him. Um, but well, Durham's got comparable numbers to Austin Allen. So, because uh, Austin's at about that 350, I think, yards for the season as well. So the two have combined for a thousand. That means. Uh, Durham's up there around that 300 mark too. So yes. uh, that's pretty awesome. They're, they're definitely, uh, it seems like Brom and Frost tend to run a fairly similar offense. They like that spread. They like those spread conf- concepts. They like those uh, multiple different route trees that they like to throw the ball to. So should be interesting. As far as defense is concerned, and I know Carl Loftus is kind of my defensive end that I want to watch because he's basically, a he was an All-American, I believe, last year. 
uh, was all over the field um, last year. He's not had quite the year this year with only 24 tackles, but 16 of them are by himself <laughs> for a defensive lineman. That's pretty impressive. Uh, five and a half tackles for loss, three sacks, eight quarterback hurries, two pass breakups, a uh, two forced fumbles, and one fumble recovery. So he has the potential and the ability to certainly be the guy that can disrupt anything and everything that Adrian wants to do, running or throwing the ball. Uh, so for me, that is a key. We've got to you can't one-on-one with this guy. You can't just throw Ben Hart out there and say, good luck. You've got to have a tight end or somebody in there, a running back or something to, to help out. Cause otherwise he's just going to tear our backfield up. Um, and you've got another disruptor, a guy who's <laughs> over twice as many tackles as Karloftis. So I picked inside linebacker, inside linebacker, Jalen Alexander. He has 52 tackles. 32 solo tackles, uh, four tackles for loss, one sack, and four pass breakups. Um, so what that stat line tells me is that he's always finding a way to to ball hawk. He's looking for whoever's carrying the ball, and he is finding a way to get right in that mess and take down the ball carrier uh, or whatever. And he is actually, one one fact about him that I was kind of intrigued by was that he was actually a wide receiver coming out of high school and was converted to a linebacker. So he's very athletic in regard to quickness. And that's probably why he has as many tackles as he does, because he's probably the quickest linebacker that they have that's able to find his way to the ball carrier. Um, his stats are pretty good and, uh, he just seems like a disruptor to me. So we gotta, we gotta keep an eye on him, especially with him being an inside linebacker, probably going to show some blitz packages. We're going to need to pick him up. That's, that's all I can say. Yeah, for sure. We're going to have to work on game planning to get his eyes in the wrong spot. So I expect Frost and Lubick to come up with a lot of, uh, backfield motion, a lot of, orbit motions a lot of wide receivers coming across the the um formation just to get hopefully get his and that other inside linebacker is pretty good too i think he's only about 15 tackles behind him so um yeah we need to uh get those guys eyes in the wrong spot uh but yeah certainly is a disruptor just like carl optus so Anyway, those are the guys we think are pretty important that Nebraska needs to deal with. And then uh, when it comes to taking a look at how the two teams have performed so far this year, the stats are somewhat comparable, I believe, when you look at the total offense for both teams. Uh, Nebraska does have a bit of an advantage in total offense. Uh, Purdue is 392 yards a game, 18 total TDs, whereas Nebraska is 479 yards per game with 33 total TV, TDs, um, Purdue can't run the ball for <laughs> They're averaging 74.3 yards per game, three total touchdowns on the ground. Uh, so that often, that defensive line and those, those linebackers are probably going to be playing in space a lot in this game and not really necessarily having to come up and fill as much as they usually do. Um, Nebraska, on the other hand, averages 212.6 yards a game, which we talked about earlier. Uh, and they have a total of 23 touchdowns on the ground. Uh, passing offense is where Purdue has about a 50-yard advantage at 317 a game. Nebraska is about 266 a game. They've thrown for 14 TDs. We've passed for 10. 
Um, we score on average 30.75 points per game, whereas they score 22.14. But they do have us an advantage at field goals. Uh, they have a kicker who <laughs> isn't 50%. <laughs> He's made 10 out of 12. We've made 6 out of 12, with two of those being over 50 yards. So, anyway, any any thoughts on the offensive comparison there, Scott, at all? Anything strike you? with those numbers just their their rushing offense i wonder if their rushing game would be different if their guy uh, what's his first name i know his i know his last name it's horvath um if is it xander i was gonna say zach but so xander horvath i remember him tearing us apart in 2019 or 2020 one of those two years and he's actually injured um i think he's out i think that makes a difference and yeah, they just haven't had a bell cow rise up for them um, significantly. So that's that's the only stat line that just blows my mind is that yeah, they only have seventy four yards per game rushing versus our two hundred and twelve, which I would say right. that uh, at least a third, if not half, of those rushing yard averages come from Martinez. So that that does help. Yeah. Um, but that's all I got. That's all I got for that. That's good 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 insight there. That's kind of what I was thinking too when I thought about why their rushing yardage was so low. They don't have they don't have a Rondale Moore who used to motion into the background backfield as well oh, once yeah. in a while and take the ball on a handoff who was dynamic just like Wandale was. Um but as far as defense, defense looks a little closer. Uh when it comes to stopping the run, we're both almost identical. They average about 142 yards that they give up on defense, whereas we give up right at 141 or 140 or 141 versus 140. They've given up nine TDs on the ground. We've given up seven. So I think the rushing yards are going to be hard to come by for both teams. Uh, passing's a little different. Nebraska gives up about 208 and they give up at 160. So that defense is pretty good against the pass. But I do have to say that I did see that stat and I, the passing stat specifically. And I think a lot of that honestly has to do with the fact that a lot of their opponents have been run heavy. Um, Cause I mean, just looking their first three games, Oregon state, Yukon yeah. and uh, Notre Dame, a Notre Dame is probably the highest passing threat in that, in that regard. Same thing with Oregon state, but then you have Illinois, Minnesota, Iowa, and right. and Wisconsin. So I think a lot of I think a lot of their passing defense has honestly just been in the sense that they haven't really played against teams with high passing threats. Yeah, and I hadn't really looked at their game by game stats either to see which teams they did better against. I'm just offering like a others, yes but. yes Purdue's looking better than us in pass defense, but I think that we've played uh well, it's significantly higher slate of of passing offenses. Mm-hmm. Well, the only the to me the key stat is the fact that we've given up 208 yards a game passing this year, and they have averaged throwing for 300 318. So, yeah. CTB and Newsom and the safeties are going to have to have their head on a swivel come Saturday to make sure they're in I the agree. right spots, and especially JoJo is going to figure 
big time in this game plan in my mind because he's the he's the Swiss Army knife on that defense. He's that nickel safety. He's that guy that can rush the passer. He's that guy that can tackle a running back coming out of the backfield. So um, JoJo's going to be big in this game, which I'll talk about him again here in a little bit. But scoring really dang close to 16.29 points per game is what Purdue gives up, while our defense gives up 19.38. Um, so there we go. That's That's the comparison on the stats we've got some keys to victory that we'd like to talk about next um oh yeah scott you've got some good ones there why don't you go ahead all right so my first key to victory is going to be explosive offense i know that purdue has a very good defense statistically um but as stats tend to go there tend to be anomalies and i feel like if nebraska finds a way to fire on all four cylinders uh, we could probably find a way to have an explosive offense, and I think that will be key in this game. Um, they're going to need to dig deep and find a way to be explosive for every quarter to include the first quarter. Um, with Martinez being nicked up, I hope he can recover to a level that he can use his legs again for this game. Otherwise, in my opinion, I think Lubick, Verdusco, and Frost need to find a way to use Smothers in the same way that Minnesota used Cole Kramer to throw off our defense. We need to get really creative for this game, I believe. I like that. I completely agree, especially with the idea that uh, Smothers certainly wouldn't hurt to have him involved in the game plan. He's already redshirted. You don't need to worry about using him for only four games. You can use him as much as you freaking want, and he is fast. I mean, why not put him in there for some of those counter plays that they used to run with McCaffrey? Two quarterbacks in the backfield, and they don't know which one's going to take the snap, and then you pitch it to him on a counter option type deal. Good night. That would be fun to watch, I think. So uh, let's see here. Number one for me would be definitely containing George Karloftis. I know he doesn't have the stats that some other defenders on the team do, uh, but he's had big games against us in the past couple years. It is definitely a potential disruptor on that defense. So as we talked about before, I think leaving Ben Hart out there on an island or Corcoran or wherever he lines up on an island, you can't do that. you got to double him. You've got to at least chip him with a tight end or a running back or something like that to keep him the hell out of your backfield and neutralize. Or run hit, run against him on the option. Make him come up and figure out which guy he's got to take, the pitch man or the uh, the guy that, fakes the dive so um, that's what I think I think we've got to contain him what's your second key I was just gonna say Um, yeah I agree with that especially considering our offensive lines proclivity to allowing the pass rush uh, (laughs) I think that Purdue is just gonna eat that up so we need to figure out a way to get that edge rush contained Um, I don't have much confidence in it, but I have a feeling that, yes, Karloftis is going to have a huge role in in pressuring Martinez and getting in his head. So, yes, I I think that is a great key to victory is containing that guy. So uh, number two for me is shutting down O'Connell and or Plummer, like I said before. Uh, Yeah, like what we saw against Minnesota and their ability to create a proficient quarterback game against us. I hope that we can Mm -hmm. learn from those mistakes and find a way to shut down the Boilermaker wideout core by shutting down their quarterback position. Yes, I absolutely agree. I think uh, getting pressure on O'Connell is going to be 
going to be pretty important. Uh, we have not been good at that this year, um, and they haven't given up a whole lot of sacks. So just getting him uncomfortable would be would be helpful, in my opinion. Just make sure he's got to move a little bit because he's kind of a he can move a little, but he's not he's not as uh, mobile as as uh, Martinez is. So uh, definitely shutting him down and and or Plummer when he comes in. I completely agree. Uh, for me, number two key is going to be Cam Taylor Britt versus David Bell. Doesn't matter where that guy lines up, boundary, field side. Cam Taylor Britt has got to shadow him, and he's got to be the guy on him. So Wisconsin managed to hold him to six receptions for 33 yards and no TDs. So he's likely going to be kind of pissed and ready for a big game, which he had the last time Purdue went on the road against Iowa and took down number two, 24-7. So for me, that's it. Cam Taylor's got to shadow David Bell. When he goes in motion, number five has got to go with him. End of story. And I know that this goes without saying, but our stinking defensive coordinator, Eric Shenander, and his uh... – the cornerbacks coach who is our cornerbacks coach travis fisher travis fisher they better be up on the big screen watching the wisconsin game and take and breaking it down play by play to see exactly what it is that their cornerback core did to shut david bell down that whole game um and figure out how to replicate it if not like try and build on it whatever they did i have no doubt i have no doubt that's exactly what they're doing no doubt in my mind. So, it's, so, yeah, how about you for number three? The last key to victory is, for me is going to be finding a good running back game for this bout. Um, with Ramir being on concussion protocol, um, he could find a way to play. It's, it's looking pretty possible, but we don't know for sure. And if not, we need to find a way to get one of the three following running backs to have a good game. Marquis Stepp. We've seen some good things from him earlier in the season, but since then he's basically been a non-factor. Jacques Yant, clearly he's a great running back. He just is having a lot of errors when it comes to play calling and knowing where his position is going to be and honestly getting too damn excited and falling at the goal line. Um, <laughs> um, and it, and or Savion Morrison. Morrison has, has shown some 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 moments of of brightness, but out of those three running backs, we haven't seen any of them play a good game every every game that we've played. We haven't seen them play consistently. So they will need to step up in a big way if if uh, Ramir Johnson can't come into the game um, and give our offense a better running dynamic to relieve pressure on Martinez for the running game because I seriously have a bad feeling that Martinez could find himself getting injured if he doesn't have help in his backfield. Um, yeah. Because he's obviously dinged up, and with um, I keep wanting to say like Cafalactus or whatever cactus, um, Carloftus. Carloftus. <laughs> if Carloftus is rushing our edge, the it, especially if he's rushing, I'm pretty sure he rushes only on the blind side. So Martinez could find himself getting blown up. And if Martinez goes down with an injury because we weren't able to get a good running back game going, then mm-hmm. we're just gonna not be in a great place. So that's my, those are my three keys to victory, explosive offense, shutting down their quarterback room and finding a good running back game. What's your last one? Well, it's very similar to yours. For me, the key, the the third key to victory is Ramirez health. If he's healthy, I feel good about the game. 
Um, if he's not, and Martinez is still gimpy on that ankle, like you were talking about earlier, who is going to step up <laughs> if you don't find the, uh, because I've been waiting, I've been waiting for Marquise to get the f out of the doghouse. Cause that's clearly where he's been since the Fordham game. So that's the only game he made a difference in. He rushed for over a hundred yards in the Fordham game. And he's been basically nowhere to be found since, except for a few carries against Buffalo. And I think maybe one or two against Oklahoma. But other than that, we haven't seen him. So he needs to step up. He needs to make sure that he's uh, ready to go because we need a couple of big dudes. I think we need Marquise, and I think we need our uh, Jock to uh, bust through that middle a little bit and soften those guys up. So Ramirez's health is big. If he's healthy, I feel pretty good. That's that's just so, it's so funny. I don't mean to detract here, but it's just who would have thought that midway past the midway point of the season we would be having a discussion about uh Ramir Johnson being the cornerstone of our running back room like that is the biggest like like wow moment for me because it's like holy cow he was like fifth on our depth chart before we went into the season and now he's now he's basically what we rely on to get a running game going he's been the most consistent He's been he's been explosive because he can once he gets through that hole he's really got that ability to get to his next gear pretty fast, and um, yeah I if you remember when we did our first episode I thought Ramirez was one of the most likely running backs to transfer. Yep, me too. I thought the same thing. I figured Tompkins was a, a candidate for that. And I figured Ramirez was the other one. Then here he is <laughs> in concussion protocol. Because they didn't call targeting. Well, he'd still be in concussion protocol, but regardless, they should have called targeting. Yes. But uh, anyway, no use crying over spilled milk, right? Um, Pretty much. Or spilled lake water since it was in Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes. So bad joke. I get it. I'm sorry. But uh, <laughs> score predictions. We might as well get to this fun stuff. Uh <laughs> I have no idea. This is difficult to predict. I'm going to do it, but it's difficult simply because before their game with Wisconsin, ESPN gave us a 70.5% chance to win, which blew my mind after they just got done beating Iowa's, Iowa at <laughs> in Kinnick Stadium. It just literally made no logical sense. Uh, but I imagine that number might go up after that Purdue... Is got hammered at home by Wisconsin. I couldn't find the latest number. So 74.9% chance of NU pulling off the win. <laughs> but here's the kicker. I don't know if that Iowa Purdue team is going to show up and if the Minnesota Nebraska team is going to show up. If that happens, Purdue's going to beat our asses. If the Michigan Nebraska team shows up and the Wisconsin Purdue team shows up, Okay, then we blow them out, but I think both teams are going to show up. I don't doubt that Nebraska is going to be up for this game, but I think Purdue will be too, and highly pissed. And I think the advantage goes to Nebraska, even though we have not won a scheduled bye week or post-bye week game under Frost. I think the advantage being at home, whether it's sold out or not, I think Nebraska comes out with at least a touchdown victory, uh, 21 to 14 is what I'm thinking. How about you? That's pretty solid. Cause I think that's, that's pretty much what, uh, Vegas is predicting as a touchdown win with 6.5 minus 6.5 on the spread for Nebraska. 
Um, so I'm predict- predicting them to cover. Wow. <laughs> I'm honestly, uh, like you said, this one is a really hard, hard game to even predict. It's hard to predict with Nebraska because we always find the stupidest ways to lose or we just sometimes pull something out of our ass and find a really crazy way to win like Northwestern. Um, but honestly, dude, I am not all that confident on this one. Um, I think there's definitely a way that our guys can come back from their lackluster performance against the Gophers, but I'm going to follow the trend and assume that we play bad at home and we continue to look discombobulated. Um, I do believe that our season is on the edge of disaster at this point, and this game will set the course for the rest of our four games. And honestly, though, I don't know. I think we do find a way to win. I'm just not that confident. Um, But if we do, it won't be pretty. I have a feeling we're going to be more frustrated with how ugly our win is than anything else. Um, I really do. I want to pick the Boilermakers to win because I'm tired of setting myself up for disappointment. Um, But even if I do pick us to win, there's always that little bit inside of me that's like, we're going to find a way to lose this. Uh, Yeah. But I'm going to hold on to the hope that we don't lose out for the rest of our season, even if it just means that we beat the Boilermakers. Um, it will be an odd score, though. Uh, I'm predicting Nebraska to win 22-19 to because I just have a feeling it's going to be one of those weird, weird games where something's blocked, something's something's like, you know, Martinez decides he wants to roll out 11 yards into his own end zone and get an intentional grounding again or something like that. Um, <laughs> but I'm picking Nebraska still to win, even though I really, it's really hard for me to do that. Very difficult. Um, but we win by three. You know what? The more I think about this game, the more I think you're probably closer to right than I am just because both teams have been really good on defense and both teams have always been known for offense. So we could be, it could be 22 to 19. It could be 52 to 49. With oh, these two God. coaches, yeah, because they're so up on wanting to outdo each other with play calls. So it, it's either way. I'm hoping it's a win. So that pretty much wraps up. Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't wrap wrap up the Purdue preview, does it? We got to do plus minus yet. So yes, we do plus minus. I'm leading seven to five, which makes me very happy. So in uh, in a shout out to me going to uh, Denver, I picked a very specific number for this. Mind you, like I said in a previous podcast, I don't drink and I don't smoke weed. I don't do any illicit substances aside from nicotine, as I'm sure you've heard uh, me puff on my freaking vape for every episode that we've uh, we've recorded up to this point. But my plus minus is 420 yards total yards generated by the Huskers. Um, If it's a high-scoring game, obviously it'll be plus, but knowing Nebraska and their anomalous type of stat lines, we could definitely get over 420 total yards of offense and only walk away with less than 20 points on the board because that would just be the most Nebraska thing. But I am actually going to be kind of crazy again with my plus minus predictions i'm going to pick a plus i'm picking plus 420 total offensive yards generated by the huskers what do you think dad well that's a good number because that's right about (laughs) 
well, it's a little bit lower than what Nebraska's been averaging. So that's a pretty good number, I think, um, especially because this Purdue defense has been pretty good all year. Um, and they only gave up, what, 349 or something to to Wisconsin. So uh, 290 of that was on the ground. So yep. <laughs> that's why I'm really hoping Ramir is healthy and Jacques has figured out what side of the freaking quarterback he's supposed to take the handoff on. Um, I'm going to go with the minus, though, because taking the number on that is just craziness. Because uh, with my luck, we'd go 421 and you'd yeah. get it. Or, or you know, but they could play really, really well against us and we don't do anything until the second half and we maybe get 370 out of the day. So I'm going to go with the minus. Um, my plus minus is defensive related. And instead of, <clears throat> I just thought, why not? Because I think Jojo Doman is going to be absolutely vital in this game. Um, making sure that he's covering a tight end that comes out, or a running back coming out of the backfield, as well as dropping in zone coverage at times, um, and all that kind of stuff. I am going to take <laughs> plus minus eight total tackles by Jojo Doman, and I am taking the plus. And you turkey i know i gave you a good number to take the number on i know i did but i have a feeling i have a feeling he's going to have a game i just have a feeling if it's going to be the score that i think it's going to be 21 to 14 it's going to be because it's going to be because jojo has more than 10 tackles in my mind very well yeah no but if you heard my little uh key clacking um <laughs> it was because i originally picked minus um but i think yeah eight total tackles actually sounds right on the money and I'm going to play risk it. I'm going to risk it for the biscuit here. And I wrote the number. So that's just me laughing monotonely about that. So I'm going to actually go risk. I'm going to risk it and pick the exact number with eight total tackles by Jojo Doman. If he gets, if he gets eight and a half or, like something like that does that does that... nope <laughs> damn eight it. and a half means i win <laughs> son of a bitch all right <laughs> yeah 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 it is what it is but yeah the number i think is a pretty good play i seriously toyed with taking the number myself uh but i grabbed eight just because i thought nine to ten is is definitely in range for him without it without a doubt so that Without the false start earlier about thinking I had wrapped up the preview for P Purdue. Wraps up the preview for Purdue. <laughs> and uh, here in the next few seconds, we're going to give you Jen Red's six-pack picks of the week. The results from last week, as well as some new picks for this week. Alrighty, we are back with Jen Red's six-pack picks of the week. We're going to talk about week eight results right now. Um, let's see. I went two and four this week. Not so dang good. You, on the other hand, went four and two, which is pretty good. So now we're tied. We're both 12 and six overall on our picks. Uh, we both picked OU to beat Kansas and they did 35 to 23, although it was what, 10, nothing at the half Kansas. Yeah. And then, it was... uh, yeah, that was a hell of a game. I watched the second half. It was really good. And then, uh, Number 10, Oregon beat UCLA 34 to 31 at UCLA. We both picked UCLA 
And for a while there, I thought they had a shot. Oh, I yeah. really did, but they just made too many mistakes, and that Oregon defense was Thibodeau. I'm telling you, if Nebraska starts winning eight, nine games in a in a year over the next few years, we're going to get guys like Thibodeau on our defense because that mm-hmm. dude is like Chase Young, just a little little lighter and a little faster. That dude is is incredible. So uh, Oregon survives at UCLA, so we both lost a point there, and then Wisconsin. I I picked Purdue, so I lost. You picked Whiskey, which was wise because they just ran roughshod on number 25, Purdue, 30-13. to So my honorable mention game, though, one that I did not pick was Illinois, uh, beating number 7 Penn State in Happy Valley 20-18 to after nine freaking overtimes. The new rule for overtime, it's what? They, they try to score either a field goal or a touchdown for the first two and then after that they just go for two until somebody wins i think is how the new rule is so it's like two or three I, th- I think it's two or three overtimes one or the other yeah, yeah and so, then it's just two point conversions you get one <laughs> shot at the three yard yep. line to make your two point yep. conversion and yep. then and they, they just went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth it was crazy they're freaking running backs for illinois of all things after bielema kind of pulled a move this last week and called out the talent level on his offensive line. <laughs> they go and rush for over 360 yards between two running backs. So the <laughs> offensive line obviously got pissed and did its job. Uh, so yeah, that's my, my honorable mention game. That was, that was fun to watch the highlights of that. That was crazy. Except yeah. for Sid Sidkowski. Did you see that, that broken arm? Did you see the highlight no, of that? No, no. I wondered oh. why I saw his stat line and then Brandon Peters went it was, back It in was the Peters game. that ended up winning the game, but Sitkowski tried to throw the ball or something. He got hit, and he went up, and he landed all of his weight on his palm of his hand, and his hip was kind of over top of his wrist, and that those two bones in there, you could see one of them break. Oh, There's my two God. bones in there between your hand and your elbow. And one, you could see one of them break. So, uh, yeah, it was nasty. Was it his throwing so, arm? Do you know? Uh, No. No? He's not okay. a lefty, so he landed on his left. Okay. So, well, anyway, that's those at least were, good, but <laughs> yeah, still the, not good to snap your arm in any it way, just, It looked perform. nasty, and they replayed it like four times on BTN. I'm like, you guys are sick because that hurts. That looks nasty. So, uh, you, your three games, why don't you go ahead with those because uh, – you bastard, you gained even more ground on me on yours. Yeah, and I knew that I I should have picked the win for Pittsburgh over Clemson with Clemson going on a downward trend, which I still haven't even bothered to look up. What the hell are the Pittsburgh? What what are what's They're the Panthers. Pittsburgh Panthers, okay. Um <laughs> Yeah. So I'll just start at the top and work my way down to that Clemson game. But uh yeah. First one I had uh, Oklahoma State, number eight, Oklahoma State at Iowa State. I picked Iowa State to win that game because I just didn't have much confidence that that Oklahoma State was as good as advertised. Um, And yeah, so Iowa State wins that game 24 to 21. And so I got the dub on that one. Dad picked Oklahoma State, so he got an L on that one. Uh, next game on my list was uh, LSU going to Ole Miss. 
Uh, Ole Miss ended up winning that game 31-17. to It looked like a pretty decent game in the first quarter, but Ole Miss's defense uh, stepped up and their offense gained some more ground going into halftime and then continually into se- the second half. And both Dad and I picked Mississippi to win, and that's exactly what happened. So we both get a dub there. And then, yes, mm-hmm. Clemson going to Pitt, the Pittsburgh Panthers. And I I should have just went with my gut and, and picked Pittsburgh to win because I really did think that um, Clemson was on a downward trend this year. They're having a bad year this year. But I just kind of had some faith that maybe Clemson could gain some ground back by, by winning this game, and they did not. So Pittsburgh wins 27-17. to 17. Oh, and I forgot to say this. Uh, yeah, uh, Ole Miss wins 31-17. to 17. And yeah, so both dad and I get an L in that column. So, so yes, now dad and I are both tied 12 and six at yes, our win loss column. And hey, you know what? Uh, Clemson's probably got a quarterback controversy going into this next game. So they benched really? their starter in the Ooh. third or fourth quarter. Ooh. They benched their starter. Lala, so, yeah, whatever his name was, they, they yeah. benched him. So I don't know. Could be an interesting interesting week of practice in Dabo Sweeney land. Yes. And then so, my, oh, my honorable I mention. That. I love it, dude. That's a cool game. Yeah. So on Wednesday night when I was recording my solo podcast, uh, Appalachian State found a way to beat number 14, Coastal Carolina. Uh, it was a back and forth game the whole game i kind of watched a bit of it here and there when i could and then i watched the highlights again after afterwards and yeah coastal carolina lost to appalachian state i think it was at appalachian state it was a 30 to 27 victory for for the uh appalachian state crew it was actually tied at 27 with three minutes left in the fourth quarter and then Appalachian State drives down the field to get a game-winning field goal. And mm-hmm. it was Appalachian State first win against a top 25 opponent since they beat number 5 Michigan in 2007. So, good God, I remember watching that game in 2007. I Holy do too. Cow. I do too. I think that was, I was such a great game. It was in it was just at a different era where like mm-hmm. those smaller opponents did not have any business winning games against power five opponents all that often uh, where I feel like the gap between uh, power five conferences and group of five conferences has definitely shrunk. The gap between the two have, have shrunk significantly Yes, it has. in the last decade and a half. So um, good for Appalachian state kind of bummed out. Awesome. I like, I like it whenever uh those small guys get a way to climb up the rankings, but you know, it is what it is. So, uh, that's, well, I know I texted you last night that, and I didn't put it in my honorable mention just cause it's Alabama, but, uh, that game last night was great until you got about 20, 30, 40 seconds into the fourth quarter <laughs> and then yeah. Alabama just kind of pulled away, but that game was great. Tennessee was really playing well. I think I think uh, Josh Heupel was a good hire there. I think he's going to get that program turned around. Whether they'll ever beat Alabama or not eh, remains to be seen. But hey, it was a great game. I enjoyed watching it, um, in spite of the fact that it was SEC. It's just it was good football, and I love watching good football. So uh, that was enjoyable. And watching 
watching Nick Saban lose his ever-loving freaking mind on the sidelines after a delay of game penalty was just like gold, absolute uh. gold. I mean, he was like 10 yards out in the field screaming at his quarterback. It was so funny. <laughs> I was like, holy cow, how does he not get a penalty? Oh, yeah, he's out. it's Alabama. That's how. Um, so anyway, and before we move on to our week nine picks, I just want to I just want to mention that uh, your solo episode has gotten quite a few compliments on Twitter from a couple of folks that I've talked that I talked to on there. So really? you did you did an outstanding job uh, between the two of us. We managed about 50 downloads. So that was pretty good considering we weren't together and I think we're far better together. Uh, so that's awesome. Anyway, for week nine, you've got some interesting picks. So why don't you go through, uh, well, let's just go back and forth your first game and then I'll do my first one. All right. So for my first game on here that I'm excited to take a peek at, take a gander is to see how number nine, six and one Iowa can bounce back from their loss against Purdue when they go to, uh, unranked four and three Wisconsin, which just picked up a win against the uh, the Purdue Boilermakers. So it's kind of a, an interesting matchup in those kind of contrasting regards. Uh, yeah, the game's at 11 a.m. The over-under is 36.5, and, and the spread is minus 3.5 for Wisconsin. Um, this one's kind of a hard game to pick because – uh, is Iowa, does that mean that Iowa's on their bye week this week? Is that the, is that the thing? Yeah. Cause I don't think there was any. Yeah. Any, they didn't play this week. That's what it was. I had to, I, I started to panic there for a second. I was like, Ooh, I, I hope I have all this right. What I'm saying. So yeah, it's kind of a weird competing force between those two teams. I'm ultimately picking Wisconsin to win because it is in Madison. Um, I think that even though Iowa's in their bye week right now, I think Wisconsin's feeling pretty good after their win against Purdue. So I think momentum goes in favor of Wisconsin. Um, and I'll be curious to see if Iowa can bounce back from that embarrassing loss against the Boilermakers, which obviously Wisconsin did a number against them. So uh, yeah, I'm picking Wisconsin by four. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go opposite. I'm going to say that, uh, they're a little slap happy after beating uh, Purdue, uh, Purdue uh, pretender, Purdue team, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but Iowa's always been good. I think Iowa's always been pretty dang good in Madison. So it's been a while since anybody has won there. But uh, I'm going to pick Iowa to win by one. Fair so, enough. This this yep. week is going to be an interesting, an interesting uh, bout. Oh, no doubt. Both of us. Just with my picks, I know that you and I both agree on our win predictions uh, in, in your picks, but this this these three games are pretty interesting. So my next game is or yeah, yeah, I'll just go. I'll just go down the line here with mine and then you can go down the line with yours. Um, so my next game is number 10, six and one Ole Miss going to Auburn. Number 18, Auburn, they're 5-2. and two. The over-under for this game is 66, so predicted to be a kind of higher-scoring game, with a spread minus 1 going into Ole Miss's favor. It's a 6 p.m. game, so night game. That should be fun. 
Um, I am picking Auburn in this one. Um, but for no reason other than that they're going to Auburn and that's going to be a tough night game for them to have to play in. And I think that Auburn wants to prove a point that they're not as bad as people are seeing them be right now. So I don't think that they're bad, but they're just not living up to the hype that they had right at the beginning of the season. So I'm picking Auburn by seven, actually. So kind of a a pretty decent win for them in their home stadium. So what are you thinking? Well, this is another game out of yours that I'm I'm differing with you on. Uh, with Ole Miss favored by minus one at Auburn. Auburn with the new coach. Lane Kiffin's kind of been at Miss for a couple of years. I think he knows what he's doing. I like the way he calls offense. That Auburn defense has been pretty good from some of the highlights I've seen, but I like Mississippi in this game to win by three. Yeah, and they have a Heisman quarterback candidate right now. I don't remember what yep. his name is, but um, what is it? What is his name? Let me see. Uh, yeah, Corral. Matt Coral. Corral. Corral. That's it. Yeah. So, and he's playing. He's playing an outstanding season. He played really well against LSU. He played really well against LSU, especially in the second half. Yep, I watched some of that game. His stat lines doesn't really doesn't really show it, but he made really sound and timely decisions, and a lot of those yep. incomplete passes were just throwaways. So, um, yep. yeah. So moving on to my last game, number one Georgia seven and zero Georgia going to the swamp and to face unranked Florida. They're four and three this at this point in the season. The over under is fifty with a spread of minus fourteen in favor of Georgia. It's a two thirty p.m. game. Uh, the reason why I picked this game is simply because I'm curious to see how Georgia plays the rest of their season. I don't think even though Florida is having a less than great season at this point, I don't think that it's going to be an easy matchup for Georgia all, all that easy, but ultimately I think that Georgia's defense is going to lead the way for them. And I think it's going to be a lower scoring game all the way up until the last quarter of the game where, where Georgia gets up by, at least two and a half touchdowns, and I'm picking Georgia by 17. That's a pretty good pick. Uh, I I also pick Georgia, uh, but I don't pick them by quite that much just because it is at home. Florida's at home. Dan Mullen's a good coach. He's been in Florida now for, well, what, four years? He's He was hired at Florida the same year that Frost was hired at Nebraska, and uh, he was a really good coach at Mississippi State. And uh, he's made some made some strides there, so I think I still think Kirby's better, and I think Georgia's better. Uh, so Georgia wins by thirteen, and uh, Florida covers. Good to go. Yep, I think that sounds about yep. right. Either way, either way, I think we're both kind of on the money there. Um, yep. Yeah, Georgia's going to win the game. Georgia's going to win the game, and it's also the isn't that the cocktail party? World's largest cocktail party. They play that game in Jacksonville, I believe. I have no so, idea. Yep. Yeah, yep, yeah, it is Jacksonville, Florida. I yep. remember seeing that. So there's technically not a home field advantage, but there kind of is. Because <laughs> Gainesville's not all that damn far from Jacksonville, but neither is Athens. So it's kind of kind of a neutral site, So, but it's always a fun game. Uh, for me, my number one game that I'm really – interested in seeing is number six Michigan against number eight Michigan State. The over under 
thank you for finding all those numbers. Uh, I don't know where the hell to find them because I don't bet. So <laughs> <laughs> the under the over under is fifty one and a half. The spread is minus four. Michigan is favored by four. Uh, it's an eleven a.m. kick. I think Michigan wins this game, even though it's at Michigan State, and even though both of them are undefeated, and with Kenny Walker being as good of a running back as he is, Michigan did a pretty good job shutting down our running game. So I have a feeling they're going to figure out what to do against Kenny Walker, or Kenneth Walker, whatever he goes by. And um, I think Michigan wins this thing by by a field goal, probably... 27-24 27-24 is kind of what I'm thinking this game is going to be, which puts you just under the over-under. So I would bet the under on this game. Hmm. Yeah, I'm actually very intrigued by this game. This is probably going to be the, uh, if we weren't, well, I guess it'll be the game that I watched before before we play Purdue if I'm not if I'm not getting on-call, because uh, I actually start on-call tomorrow and we'll have on-call yeah. for this week. So not very thrilled about that, but whatever it is what it is i get paid don't care um yeah it's gonna be a great game in in my opinion i wish it was a night game that would just be awesome to play at the what do they call it the woodshed is that their is that their thing for michigan that's the nickname for for yeah spartan stadium is the woodshed yep yeah it would have been a it would have been a better better thing if that was at night but obviously penn state and ohio state um they've got that slate which we'll get into that most likely (laughs) not trying to foreshadow anything but anyway spoiler uh, alert spoiler alert my bad but uh (laughs) yeah dude i think that Michigan's going to come out on top in this one, mostly because Michigan State has proven throughout their season that they have good games and bad games. I think that Michigan is going to have Michigan State's best game. Um, I think that uh, Mel Tucker's going to have his guys ready to go. But, ah, dude, yeah, Michigan's running attack, their passing attack, all of the things that they've got going right for them, their their stout defense. I just don't think that Michigan State is going to be able to pull this win off. So I'm picking uh, Michigan to win by seven. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit. They're definitely going to cut. Co- Michigan's definitely going to cover the spread, in my opinion. Um, but we'll just see. Picking Michigan. All righty. Well, my next game is number 20, Penn State, who's 5-2, and two, against number 5, Ohio State, who is 6-1. Uh, and one. The over-under is 60. I don't know about you, but I think that number's a little bit low. Um, the spread is 16.5. OSTU is favored by 16.5, and with an over-under of 60. Holy cow, they don't have a whole lot of faith in that Penn State offense. I do. I think Oklahoma, I think Ohio State still wins by 17. I think they cover the spread, but I think they beat the over. I think you're looking at about 73 points scored in that game between the two teams. Uh, but Ohio State comes out 17 better than Penn State. They're beat up after that Illinois game. They got beat the hell up. In those overtime segments, no doubt in my mind. Oh yeah, and it was such a low-scoring game, and and ripped out the morality that they that they might have been able to scrap by with. Even if they pulled off the win, they would have felt pretty down on themselves having to yeah 
having to bring it into overtime against a less than impressive Illinois team thus far in the season. So I'm going to go with trends and just assume that Penn State lays an egg here um, at Ohio State. I think it's a little bit closer of the game, closer of a game, or maybe that's just what I was thinking when I wrote this out. But as I've been thinking about it more, I'm actually going to change my uh, my score. I I picked Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. I picked uh, Ohio State by ten, but I'm actually going to bring that number up to fourteen. I think they win by two touchdowns. Um, okay. It's at night. It's at Ohio State at night. Like that's just going to be. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a good game. I think that Penn State finds a way to stay in the game uh, all the way up until probably the late third quarter to fourth quarter. But I think that Ohio State separates themselves by the end of the game and finds a way to win. So Ohio State mm-hmm. by fourteen. This game reminds me kind of of the Alabama Tennessee game on Saturday night. I think yeah. I think you're right. I think Penn State stays with them for three quarters, and then C.J. Stroud and those guys just kind of a couple of turnovers happen toward the end of the game, and they just pull away. So uh, my number three game is an unranked three and four Miami squad going into Pittsburgh, who's number seventeen now after beating Clemson. They're six and one. The over under is sixty two. The spread is uh, Pitt favored by 12. It's an 11 a.m. game. Miami's not good. Miami's just bad. And with an over-under of 62, I would bet the over because I think Pittsburgh's probably going to put at least 40 points on them. Uh, I know I've got Pitt by 14, which means that Miami's going to score a few points in the fourth quarter, probably because Pitt's up by 35 at half. So they bring their second teamers in midway through the third quarter, and Miami makes a little bit of hay. But yeah, I think Pitt wins this one by two touchdowns. Yeah, and I it's one of those things about Pitts, Pittsburgh. I kind of looked into it a little bit more, which of course is like the most Scott thing for me to do. I look into the stat line of Pittsburgh, but I don't bother to learn their their nickname of being the Panthers. Um, yeah, man, they have over 2,000 yards for their uh, their quarterback, Pickett. He has 2,200 yards in the air with a 68% completion accuracy. They have over 1,200 yards combined rushing with their rushing attack. Right. So they're sitting at a really pretty stat line, kind of one of an one of those underrated offensive like performances. Um, right. and it being at home, dude. Yeah. I think Pittsburgh's just going to lay, lay the wood on them. So, um, I'm picking Pittsburgh by 21. I think it's going to be an even larger win margin for, for the Panthers. So we're both thinking the over, aren't we? Oh yeah. They, they definitely yeah. go over. Yep. Well, by God, those are our Gen Reds six pack picks of the week for week nine in college football. And uh, I think we should do a few fun facts. What do you think? Yeah, let's You've got do one, it. don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do. I just didn't write it You down. didn't write it down, you turd. I didn't know. Whoops. <laughs> My fun fact tonight is that I enjoy playing music, not just listening to music, but playing it. I, I used to have an acoustic guitar out here on the road with me all the time. I used to play 
acoustic at church, do some leading of, of singing and whatnot in church for years. Um, and then I got to doing this for a living and I didn't do it near as much as I used to, but I really would like to bring my guitar back out on the road with me now that I have a proper mic to record it with. But, uh, I don't know, maybe I need a proper guitar because the one I've got now was bought when you were four years old. So <laughs> the bridge is coming apart. It just doesn't <laughs> sound like it used to. Uh, but anyway, back in 2014, which is, this is the actual fun fact. Uh, back in 2014, I wrote and recorded a song uh, that I walked Amber, Scott's oldest sister, down the aisle to when she married Scott's best friend. And uh, which was two days before Scott shipped out to Marine Boot Camp. So that's one of the musical memories for me that uh, holds a very, very special place in my heart. That And, and leave it to your sister, Scott, because I told her when she was 10 years old, I'm going to write you a song for your wedding. You know, because I was doing the whole church thing and playing in church and singing in church and all that stuff. She goes, really, Daddy, you're going to do that for me? And I'm like, yeah, I will. And then after <clears throat> Andre asked your mom and I for permission to marry your your sister, and then asked her, she came to me and she went, so you've got that song ready, right? <laughs> <laughs> this was like three months before the wedding. I'm like, yeah, baby, of course I do. <laughs> so it took, it, yeah, I took most of that next three months just coming up with something to write, to, uh, to sing. And uh, I didn't play my guitar to do the song, though. Because uh, Taylor at church had me play his Taylor guitar, rather simpatico, which is, I'm telling you, if I'm going to save money up and buy a new guitar, I'm going to save up a lot of damn money and I'm going to buy one of those Taylors because holy cow, they play so nice. So anyway, that's my fun fact. What's yours? Yeah, so my fun fact, uh, I tend to uh, change up my uh not really interests i'm just a very like adhd person and i just kind of change what i do all the dang time um one of the things that i did most recently a few weeks ago was i purchased a new used vehicle um i got a 2013 mazda speed 3 it's a six-speed manual it's got the 2.3 liter turbocharged engine, 263 horsepower, 280 foot pounds of torque, Ooh. and yeah, yeah, she, <laughs> she's she's a little bit throaty. The where I bought it from a used car lot, it had already been kind of modified just a bit, cat back exhaust, so it sounds a little bit more grumbly and rumbly. Uh, nice blow off valve. Blow off valve is nice. It does a little, you know, like that really cool turbo nice. sound. Um, and yeah, just just a bunch of little little knickknacks. Needs some love, needs some attention. Um, some things that I just like aesthetically, I want to change about it. Um, and yeah, just just fun little project. But unfortunately, what that means is uh, I'm going to actually end up doing the uh, responsible adult thing, and I'm going to sell my Miata. I'm going to get rid of that thing. Um, I love Miatas, but no way. Really? Yes. 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 I'm selling the Miata. Um, reason being is because I know that my attention span, or not my attention span, my ability to adhere to responsibilities is very binary and linear. I can only pay attention to one thing at a time. 
and my Miata needs but yet a you're few ADHD. Things. <laughs> yes. No, no. ADHD is exactly what I just said. ADHD is hyper focusing on one thing and one thing only, okay. and then immediately losing losing attention to that and hyper focusing on something else. Um, but what that means is that with my Miata, it needs it'll eventually need a new transmission. There's no gear slipping or anything into it, but it's getting very sticky and uh, sometimes makes some funky noises. So transmission needs to be replaced. I want to rebuild the engine because it's almost 30 years old at this point so rebuilding the engine and then it needs some suspension work done to it the coilovers that are on it are really cheap and so those would need to be replaced and then also the engine motor mount and all of the sway bars and all this stuff all sorts of stuff which i was perfectly willing to do over a long period of time but with me having a newer vehicle that also needs some love and attention to it I just don't want to bite off more than I can chew. And right. with Kelsey and I wanting to move to Florida in a couple of years, um, it would behoove us to not have any debt. And so using uh, the money that I could get from selling the Miata and then selling the motorcycle, that'll pay off a big chunk of what I just inherited debt-wise with this other car. Right. Um, and like I said about the motorcycle, I wasn't very, I wasn't very sure if I wanted to keep it. Uh, I got it to running condition. It runs. It's awesome. Um, but once again, it just it still needs lots and lots of love and attention to it that I don't want to spend. Um, so with that being said, it's not really all that much of a fun fact at this point. But, yep, my little Husker Miata is going to be uh, sold to somebody. Haven't really had anybody, a solid buyer, come up yet. But, um, yep, the Miata is going to go bye-bye. Um, you know, there will there will always be other Miatas down the road, no pun intended. Um, especially if I go to Florida, I could probably find a good one there when I get there, but um yeah, just with all the th- all the things considered, I just kind of had to do the adult thing and uh put them up for sale. So that's that's what that's 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 me. That's me at this point. Um, but well, we'll see how it all goes, how it all plays out. Well, that sounds good. I like the idea that you're taking away a bunch of distractions from your life. That's good. Uh, that Mazda is beautiful. That 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 thing is beautiful. So uh, it'll be a good place to put some Generation Red podcast stickers. Oh, one of yes. these days when we get them. Uh, so it's gonna be my. It's it's a red. It's a very beautiful red with it's like beautiful these, color. It has these flakes in it. It's yep. That's like my truck. My truck, you from a distance, it looks charcoal, but then you get right up on it, and there's just a whole bunch of flecks in it with some gold and some silver and stuff, too. So it's really pretty. So, yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. That's, that's really cool. Um, and you know what? This has been one of our longest episodes in a long time, but it needed to be because it's the only episode anybody's going to get from us this week. So. Yep. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate you guys. If you want to find us, you can find us on the web at genredpod.com where you can listen to the show, you can download the show, or you can subscribe to the show via the links provided. Uh, We're also on social media, facebook.com slash genredpod, where you can play the plus minus game. That's the only place you can play it. I'm going to post plus minus that we did tonight 
up there in the next few minutes. And then um, our YouTube channel is Generation Red Live, where we will be doing some live streams starting in the off-season. Uh, two of them that are specifically for Generation Red. The rest of them will be the Big Red Roundtable, where we will be hanging out with some of our friends on Twitter and hopefully some other Husker podcasts that want to hang out with us and just talk Husker football. Uh, so those will be about once a month. And uh, if you have any other questions, comments, or concerns, or if you want to be a part of those live streams for the Big Red Roundtable, please email us at genrpodcast at gmail.com. Again, we really appreciate all of you listening to us. We have just crossed 700 downloads for our show. Wow. We never thought that would happen for an entire season, much less just over halfway through a season. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For Scott and myself together, we're Generation Red, and we're here to remind you every single week and every month during the offseason that no matter how good Iowa thinks they are, their corn sucks. And there's no place like Nebraska. Sucks so bad. And I just wanted to say, go Big Red and beat the Boilermakers. Yes, indeed. Beat Purdue. Boiler up. Hammer them down. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast is not associated in any official capacity with the University of Nebraska or the Cornhusker football team. All opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts alone and are intended for entertainment purposes only. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Stay sweet and salty and go Big Red. Go Big Red.